Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania, presented by PJ Dick. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to the Building PA Podcast, a podcast uh, dedicated to the construction industry right here in the great state of Pennsylvania. I am a co-host, John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association. And joined, as always, with my fellow co-host, Chris Martin. Chris, what's going on today? Hey, John. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Martin with Atlas Marketing, and, and we tell stories for people to build things, and we have a solid story to tell today. Right, John? We sure do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're talking, yeah, uh, not... yeah higher ed. You know, I've been uh, out of college, I guess, 20 years. After high school, I went to the mm-hmm. Navy, and... Um, you know, then I went to Thank the you for that. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Thank After the that. service, I went to the University of Pittsburgh. This this was like 1999. Yeah, and, and I go back now when I visit Pittsburgh. I, I visit, drive to the campus, and I just can't believe how much it's changed and uh, and it's evolved and improved. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about trends in higher education, and you know how how campuses across the country have, uh, you know, evolved and improved over the past decade or so and see what see what direction these campuses are heading in. And, uh, you know, I think we have an expert. We have a great person on the call here to talk from the uh, design aspect, Sean Scheffler from LGA Partners. Sean, how are we doing? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Good to have you here, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Sure. Yeah, Sean's, Sean's a friend. We go back quite a ways. Back when I was uh, living in Pittsburgh, I was working at the Master Builders, and we had a, a YC group, the Young Contractors. And at the time, I think Sean was uh, either starting the YAF or or running the YAF. I, I recall which, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah I was active. just yeah, just getting involved in the Young Architects Forum at that time. And John, you facilitated a lot of. Uh, connections between the young contractors group and the young architects group and that was a great way to uh bridge some barriers between our two groups so it was really really great great way to start dialogue yeah i think it's awesome here we are almost 20 years later and you know when i work in the industry and i see the relationships that started you know almost 20 years ago and and you guys are still guys and girls are still working together and collaborating and having fun in the industry Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. Yeah. That's what it's all about, right? Absolutely. Every day is uh, supposed to be fun, you know. So today we're talking trends in higher education. So uh, mm. before before we jump in, why don't you uh, just kind of introduce yourself and the firm just so people get a, get a feel for who we're talking with today. Oh, sure. Thanks, John. Uh, so as, as, as you had mentioned, I'm an architect and I work for LGA Partners in Pittsburgh. We are a uh, 60-person practice. Uh, we have a pretty widespread nationwide with our retail and our airport retail segments. Our uh, commercial architectural segment uh, spans higher education, healthcare, housing, multifamily, a little bit of liturgical. Uh, we do some historic preservation and some adaptive reuse as well, and that's pretty much central to Western Pennsylvania. Uh, higher education for us has meant uh, a lot of work for the University of Pittsburgh uh, and some really notable projects with Carnegie Mellon University. And we're starting to branch out a little bit more beyond that region, starting to work for Penn State University, WVU, 
start to look toward uh, up north, toward uh, Edinburgh, Meadville, uh, those areas, and also into Ohio as well. So we're starting to spread our spread our reach a little bit beyond western Pennsylvania into the tri-state region. I have been practicing architecture for 20 years, unbelievably, and um, I've been with LGA for five and a half, going on six. And I'm a leader in the higher education market here at LGA, and um, really, really proud to say that it's been a really great market for us. It's a great market for me in particular. I am really enamored by the college setting. I'm not, you know, I'm not the type of person that wishes I was still in college, mind you, but it's just the infrastructure, the institution, the different ways that uh, people have to come together in order to make projects work. It's a really, it's a patchwork quilt of a lot of different things. There's a lot of different opportunities that come to you when you're on a college campus. It could be an athletic project one day and an academic project the next, and then a food services project next week. So it's always a lot of variety, and that's what keeps me interested. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're talking trends in higher ed, and, and I, I made mention you know, during the intro about how much University of Pittsburgh has changed since I was a student. Yes. I don't have the same design eye, the architectural mindset that you do. Could you maybe touch on how college campuses have changed since you were a student? Well, um, it's a really good question, John. And I think all of us of a certain generation, we probably remember, I remember, of course, my first dorm room with the exposed concrete waffle slab ceiling and the gang shower and uh, um, definitely a different experience when I was a student. And today's college campus caters a little bit more to the creature comforts. Uh, we're, we're talking about private bathrooms and dorm rooms. We're talking about high level finishes in the dormitories and the study lounges. Uh, which are meant to entice the students, but also really meant to entice their parents, uh, people that are looking to invest their money in tuition and room and board, and also know that uh, their children are going to a safe environment and one that is conducive not only to their learning, but also to their living. So uh, the idea of a private bathroom in my dorm room was unheard of when I was a student, and now it's pretty much the standard uh, in many, many institutions. Uh, so that's just one example of how things have changed quite a bit since you and I were students. Yeah, yeah. And and with with the you know you read about in the newspapers about the the climbing cost of higher education. Um, with that in mind, how how are the institutions responding concerning concerning the campus? Uh, well, it varies per institution, but across the board, we're looking at colleges that are learning to do more with what they have. Uh, that means a lot of adaptive reuse projects of facilities that might be uh, getting beyond their usable life and uh, need some tender loving care in order to make them more functional and more modernized. Um, Pitt is a really good example of a campus that is relatively uh, shoehorned in, in terms of real estate. You know, it's, you know, anyone that's familiar with the Oakland neighborhood in Pittsburgh knows that Pitt occupies about as much real estate as they are currently able to, and they're not really looking to expand. Real estate in Oakland in particular is prohibitively expensive, even for the university. So the university, instead of looking outward, now has to look inward. And what opportunities do we have within the campus building stock that we actually have in order to uh, cater to the student body. Uh, and then 
increasingly, and in some cases maybe a little distressingly, we're seeing some of the campuses across the state system of higher education are looking at removing obsolete building stock. Uh, the cost, it's not just the cost of going to college, it's also the cost of maintaining the college from a facilities management standpoint and also just a building operations standpoint. So LGA was uh, recently awarded some contracts to remove 21 buildings from four different campuses over the course of the next several years. And that is to help each one of those campuses reduce their overhead and their operating costs and also remove some facilities that just have uh, exceeded their usable life and there's no uh, efficient way of making those facilities work for the campus any longer. So those campuses have, ele have elected to demolish rather than renovate. Sean, you mentioned earlier uh, as you were starting your conversation about uh, designing for the parents. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that and, and what is that, what's that impact from a, from, from a design perspective? Um, so it, it becomes about the, the image that you convey. Um, I mean, I, again, I'll go back to that, uh, that college dorm room that I first stepped, stepped foot in as a freshman at Penn State 25 years ago. And, um, you know, mom and dad were, happy to see that I had a bed and happy to see that um, I had a lockable door and happy to see that I had a microwave and a refrigerator in my room that, um, you know, would allow me some, some small, uh, you know, amount of cooking, you know, <laughs> so to, to subsist. But um, I, I would think that a parent today walking into a room like that would probably be appalled that uh, this is where I'm dropping off my child. This is where my child is going to be living. And then the campus down the road, uh, or possibly in another state, has a much higher level of finish, has a much higher level of amenity, has a much nicer looking or more modern dorm room with a private, um, private bathroom, private shower, possibly even a, a kitchenette, whether it's shared with another, um, another dorm in that suite, or maybe it's private to that dormitory itself. That's more enticing. That's more appealing. And when mom and dad are the one footing maybe the majority of the tuition and the room and board, they might be a little bit more prone to send their children to that campus that has the more modern amenities. So when you're looking at the college campus, you know, this is like the college equivalent of keeping up with the Joneses. If, if we don't keep our facilities up to date, modern and modernized, we might be seeing those valuable tuition dollars going someplace else. And again, that ties into the whole cost of facilities management and buildings oper building operations. Uh, if I'm not getting that tuition, I'm not able to maintain the facilities that I have. So it all comes down to just making sure that we are marketing ourselves properly to prospective students. Those marketers, man, they, they charge the price for everything, don't they? <laughs> yes, that's correct, yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this then. You know, going because I'm I'm the same with with you. I I had that cinder block room in, mm -hmm. in college, and but how 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 can architects or how are architects blending the the different generations from yeah. parents to you know the the uh, incoming freshmen on on campuses? How are they how are they working that through? 
That's, uh, that's a really good question, Chris, um, because we do have a really multi-generational campus now. Uh, you know, we, the millennials were all the rage for the past few years, but uh, the real reality is the millennials are graduating and moving on, and um, they are also getting older, just like the rest of us. Right now, we're looking at Gen Z. Gen Z is uh, graduating from high school, moving into the college env- environment. Uh, in the next few years, we're going to look, be looking at colleges that are comprised almost primarily of Generation Z. But we also can't ignore or deny the fact that we also have a lot of non-traditional students. Uh, I mean, I think we all remember our, our typical college camp, our typical college classes where we might have had 20 students in the room and there was the one old guy in the corner, right? You know, the guy that uh, decided to change careers midstream and come back to college to get a different degree. But that's happening in increasing numbers now. We're seeing maybe 20, 25% of the student population is some form of a non-traditional student and or an adult learner as the... Uh, the term is more appropriate. Um, adult learner is anybody who's over the age of 25. 25 being, um, obviously, you know, a traditional student would have graduated by 23 or 24. So we're looking at somebody who is beyond the age of a traditional college student. Many of those people have careers already and are either looking to either change careers or supplement what they're doing. So you're looking at a lot of... Um, not only a non-traditional student, but also a non-traditional approach. These are people who maybe aren't necessarily available to take a 9 a.m. psychology class and uh, in a lecture hall. So the facility needs to be set up in such a way so that we are embracing and encouraging hybrid learning. So uh, not only the traditional classroom setting, but also some form of online component to that teaching, to that to that coursework that would allow that non-traditional student to plug in on their own time and in their own way. Uh, that could be synchronized with the classroom setting as well. So maybe um, 75% of the students are actually physically in the classroom, while another 25% are in some way, shape, or form plugging in online to that same coursework. So what does that mean to the classroom? It means it, uh, a traditional classroom with the uh, Sage on the stage uh, lecturer that is teaching maybe isn't the most conducive to that type of synchronous learning. Uh, and certainly if the technology isn't there to support that, then that model isn't going to last very long. So, uh, you know, a, a modernized classroom environment has to be fully integrated with technology. Uh, and that's technology that works in both directions, not only uh, pr- projects what the lecturer is saying, but also allows the student who is uh, remoting in to also have their voice be heard. Um, and also has to, at the same time, has to be conducive to the student that's actually sitting in the room as well. So that means maybe a slightly different layout, uh, maybe not, maybe a wider aspect ratio rather than a deeper one, and uh, one that allows everybody to whether you're in the room or not, everybody has the same opportunity to see what's happening and hear what's happening and get the most out of that lecture in the, in the way that they can. Yeah, that's, that's really, uh, that's amazing, especially, you know, now that we're, we're all in this, 
I, I keep calling it the post-COVID world, but um, you know, yes. the more mobile, more more technology friendly, and those things. So it's it's actually interesting. You know, my, my I have younger daughters, and they're going to be going to colleges soon. We're starting to look at colleges, and you, you kind of opened my eyes to what I need to look for because I'll be honest with you. When I went to college, it was I mean, my father laughs because went into the um, the cafeteria and they were offering steak. And my dad just looked at me and he goes, well, I know where you're going. And, and, and he was right. right. I mean, it was simple, you know, beat me yeah. and I'm there. Um, yep. Now there's so much more um, and mm-hmm. it's not just a classroom. So that's, that's a really great, great perspective on it to help people kind of see the differences. Yeah. Yes. This is the building PA podcast. We're talking with uh, Sean Scheffler, LGA partners. Um, Sean, your, your firm is a, uh, known to be collaborative in nature and, you know, working with stakeholders on a project. Um, during, during your career, have you seen a, a shift or a change at all when it comes to collaboration and, uh, you know, concerning the higher ed projects? Have you seen, like, more, more students, faculty, you know, more personnel from the school get involved? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question, John. Uh, I've been working on higher ed projects almost primarily for the past 10 years or so. And I would say that the one thing that no matter which institution I'm working with at the time, the process has always been highly, highly collaborative with multiple stakeholders coming to the table for virtually every meeting that we have. And traditionally, though, that's pretty much meant uh, campus security and custodial services and uh, faculty members and people from facilities management, you know, people who you would generally think would have some sort of stake or some sort of opinion in the built environment. And the challenge has always been trying to mitigate all of those different viewpoints into a cohesive design solution. It has to do this and it has to do this. Oh, and by the way, it also has to do this. Uh, and that's sometimes it's very challenging to incorporate all of those different uh, requirements. But increasingly, more and more, especially in the past several years, we've seen students uh, being involved in more and more of these steering committees, the student experience. The reality of the situation is that many of those students, unfortunately, won't be on campus when the work we're doing is actually finished. They're probably going to graduate and move on. So they are informing the process from their own three or four years of college experience that will hopefully benefit uh, students that are yet to come. But that student perspective has been more and more prevalent in the design process. And I will say it's been invaluable because the students are not only saying what works, like how they do it and where they do it and uh, how they like to study and how they like to learn, but also maybe more importantly, how it doesn't work and how this esteemed institution, this alma mater that they have chosen, that they love to death, but also they aren't too embarrassed or ashamed to point out the gaps and point out the holes too. So um, I would say that they are their perspective from that point of view is probably the most valuable when it comes to a collaborative design process because it's ultimately that's who we're designing it for is mm-hmm. is the students i like the fact that, that universities and, and are having the foresight to include the students in that process 
rather than mm-hmm. just having the facilities managers and the architects in there. Um, I, not to get off subject, but I can only imagine what some 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 odd requests that came through those. Uh, did you get like some like really really like outrageous uh, requests for things? Well, you know the joke. Uh, and I've, I've heard, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. Everybody always asks for a hot tub or a mini bar, uh, you know, but, uh, um, I'm, I'm still asking for that. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a, uh, architectural clients joke book that must be floating around and that's on page one. Um, and, and of course, of course I have to laugh like I've heard it for the first time. So, um, but uh, I, I, there's a, I wouldn't say that any of the requests are too terribly outlandish. And while I uh, appreciate the, the perspective of the faculty and the students, uh, it's ultimately, usually it's the facilities management group that will make the final say that uh, that is part of the budget and that, or that is not part of the budget. Um, you know, even sometimes a sim- something as simple as a dishwasher in a kitchenette can be a huge facilities management issue because a dishwasher sometimes has a tendency to flood. Um, so that becomes a huge property management issue and a huge insurance liability issue. So, yes, you would love to have a dishwasher in your kitchen, but that's not part of our campus standards to do that. So, um, um, so typically in that environment, when we're involving students, faculty, and um, other other individuals like that, it's more of a blue sky, uh, no holds barred kind of a conversation to just get some thoughts out on the table and let's talk about what works and what doesn't. And then after that meeting has ended is when we start making some real decisions about what we can actually incorporate into the project, what the budget would support, and more importantly, what facility facilities management would allow to happen in that building or on that particular campus. So um, there's a balancing act there between what we're allowed to do and what we want to do. So Chris, was I right or was I right? If we wanted to talk higher ed design, Sean's the right person. (laughs) As always, John, you hit it out of the park and Sean is just crushing it. And this is, this is great. I I mean, again, yeah. my, I have a daughter who's going to be a junior next year, and we're going to start looking at colleges. Mm-hmm. And, and you literally have opened my eyes. Like I, I, I mean, even when I was a student, I, I probably shouldn't say this out loud because my daughters might hear it. But you know, I never looked at the at the classroom and the, and the right. settings. But now knowing that I could, I you know, I could go home and still be involved in my class because I have that ability to, to, to connect online and, and, and be a part of the, the conversation is just, that, that opens so much opportunity for students as well as the university because now they have different op- opportunities. So I never would have thought that design would have had that impact. So thank you, Sean, that's, that's tremendous. Oh, glad um, I could help. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And, and so with that, you know, what do you see um, or is, is the future of the typical college campus? And, you know, and with that, you know, does that include technology? Is it hot tubs and rock climbing walls? Is it, you know, right. crazy stuff? Uh, you know, help our, help our listeners understand that a little bit more. So uh, we talked a little bit about the creature comforts before, and we, 
the example I gave was the dorm room example, but there's many other examples to that. Um, and again, it goes back to that idea of the changing nature of the campus. Um, when I was a student at Penn State, there weren't that many like small coffee shops or small um, food venues throughout the campus. You'd have to go to a dining hall to find something like that. Uh, and now we're seeing them crop up more and more um, in practically every building on campus. Uh, this opportunity to grab a latte or grab a bagel or something on your way to class, also a convenient place to just sit down and study or um, you know, kill time in between classes. So it becomes in many ways more about the in-betweens, the what sometimes people call the third spaces. You know, my first space is my dorm room, my second space is my classroom. My third space is the space in between, the uh, little coffee shop that I'll stop into on my way to class or the study lounge that I'll sit down in in between classes or the outdoor plaza that I will take some time to enjoy. Uh, this is Pennsylvania, so maybe three months out of the year, but still that space is, is uh, valuable and important to the campus. And it all adds up to the campus or the college experience, which is more than just going to class. And we all know that um, uh, if it was just about going to classes, then um, we wouldn't necessarily need to send our, send our students to college. But there's more to college than just going to class and getting a degree. There's learning who you are as a person and learning who you are as part of society. And those spaces are what really start to lend themselves to that college experience. And I'm going to stop there for a second because I think I'm rambling and I think I forgot the gist of the original question. So um, we can edit this I, part out, but stop, stop me. <laughs> stop me. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I think, Sean, you answered the question very well. As, and I think yeah, you, you hit on something that's, that even takes it beyond design, and that is, the, you know, the overall person. And that might be a, a, another um, topic for another time as well yeah. is, you know, how does design impact the individual? Um, because I can see that right. being a great, great topic too, but, um, no, I think you answered the question very well. Sean, that was very, uh, very well said there. And, uh, future looks bright and, uh, campuses are changing, evolving for future generations. And, uh, really enjoyed the, uh, discussion today. Hopefully we can have you back on again. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to join you guys again. And um, whatever whatever topic that I can help you think through, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, that that is that would be great. And I think uh, you know having having your your impact your your influence and, and expert experience on how design impacts so many different things. That like I said before, you've opened my eyes to something new. So thank you for that. Uh, and thank you to all of our listeners for listening to the Building PA podcast. Joining us today was Sean Scheffler with LGA Architects. And you can listen to other episodes on Building PA podcast or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the platforms. I promise you we're there. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, John, as always. And we will talk with you soon. Have a great day. Thank you for joining the Building PA Podcast, presented by PJ Dick. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.